Welcome to Offbeat Columbus. I'm your host, Matt Ward. I'm a father, husband, cynical realtor, demotivational speaker, avid fisherman, fervent Facebook fact checker, formerly traveled stand-up comedian, and completely unqualified spiritual guide. Each week we'll bring you the weird from around Columbus, Ohio, and beyond. Thanks for joining me. Episode 4. Cannibalism. This week we're going to discuss the Christian horror film I acted in, the lies that real estate apps are peddling, we'll take a listen to a racist customer voicemail from my days at Verizon Wireless, the real estate flashback house of the week, a local crime story about a $10,000 bicycle, debut of the segment Florida Man, and we will end with a song about people turning to cannibalism. This week, we'll start off with that racist customer voicemail in celebration of Cinco de Mayo. Hey, uh, I doubt you will call me back after I give you this message, and uh, but I'm highly offended that you would call me as an American citizen, a white man, and wish me happy or uh, Cinco de Mayo. What is that, the Mexican New Year? Last time I checked, I lived in the United States of America, not Mexico. And I am highly offended and insulted by your comment because you've obviously bought into this white man owes everybody something, even our country. And just for that, I will end my service with my Ireland. Happy New Year, January 1st. That's our New Year. Don't ever call my phone wish me and you happy Cinco de Mayo again. You got that, buddy? And this message. Going to be completely honest right now. After receiving that voicemail, I actually felt like I was just given a gift. It was probably one of the most beautifully stereotypical things I'd ever heard in my life. Just the level of confusion about what Cinco de Mayo actually was. Um, so, uh, congratulations to you, man that I bleeped the name out of, that was a customer in Jacksonville, North Carolina when I worked at a Verizon wireless kiosk inside of a circuit city. Now I want to tell you about the Christian horror film that I starred in. Okay, maybe not starred in. Uh, but the film was called Sorry, spelled S-A-H-R-I. And it was a movie, here's the uh, trailer, I guess the description of the movie. When a youth group sets out on a mission trip to help an elderly man save his home from being demolished, they soon find out that they may get more than they had bargained for. Could this house actually be haunted? Spoiler alert, totally. A Christian horror suspense film targeted providing a positive message through the powerful media of film. I think medium was what he meant. A DDX Media Production, directed, edited, produced, and co-written by Bob Denny. Co-written and screenplay by Larry Mowry. So I was a counselor, and I was uh, helping these kids on their mission trip to help this elderly man. I got all the way out to this house, we started to work on it. I went back, town, oh, back to town for supplies and was killed by a demon in the road. So if you would like to see me act in a Christian horror film, this is when I lived in Knoxville, Tennessee, and the film was filmed just outside of Knoxville to the east. 
and it was a pretty interesting house where we filmed it. Uh, it only took place, my part was only over the course of two days. But anyway, you can check the show notes for the link to that entire film, and I'll put the uh, segments where I'm in uh, below the link. Now it's time for an expose. Yes, that's what we've been having lately. Everyone's being exposed. All right. You're exposed for doing this thing when everyone thought you were good. Now you're bad because there's a hidden agenda. Well, guess what, folks? The same thing exists in real estate. It's true. This is an agenda. This is a real thing in real estate. There's a conspiracy. It's not really a conspiracy. But if you use a real estate app, you may be getting your information sold to people like me. Did you know that? Every time you view Realtor.com or Zillow or Redfin and decide to hit that contact button, do you know exactly what happens? Well, here's what happens. When you hit the contact button on Realtor.com or Zillow or Redfin, a real estate agent who's not the listing agent receives an email from you, and it has a default message or whatever message you entered, and it goes to not just one real estate agent, but likely four or five who have all paid for the opportunity to receive your contact information. What does that mean to you? That means that you're going to start getting emails, texts, and phone calls from anywhere from four to five agents, potentially. And they won't leave you alone, and they'll add you to mailing lists until you tell them to stop. Now, I think the problem with this and the, the issue I have with it is it's a little deceptive, right? You're trying to use a real estate app to find out information about a property, and you click on it because you think you're contacting someone that has intimate, immediate knowledge of the property, when in fact they don't in most situations. I subscribe to those leads using Realtor.com. So every once in a while I get somebody reaching out to me and wanting to know specific details on a property and I have to quickly look it up and respond to them as quickly as possible. Why? Because there's four other guys probably, or four other people, trying to respond to that lead at the same time. So what should you do? Are you wrong if you use Realtor.com in that fashion? No. It's a good way to connect with clients for me, but it's kind of deceptive to start with because they put the contact button where you hit contact right below the listing agent's information. And then they take that and they send it out to multiple agents, all being charged a substantial amount for it. Just to give you an idea, a package where someone, a real estate agent, would receive, say, 40 contacts per month from a company like Zillow in Columbus, Ohio, would cost about $1,200 a month for that agent. That means each time you click on the contact button on Zillow, it, you're potentially costing a real estate agent $45 to $100 for one click. Sounds pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? That's when these apps have gone out there, these companies have gone out there, they've created an app, they've imported data from the MLS around the country, the multiple listing services around the country, and then they've marketed the crap out of their app, they've developed it in a way that it's user-friendly, and they get people looking, and then they turn around and charge agents in order to receive your contact information. I just demystified that shit for you. So if you're ever browsing on a real estate app, understand that if you already have a real estate agent you would like to be the one to answer the question for you, use the forward button and forward it to your agent and don't hit the contact button because then you'll get me 
And I'll be like, bro, you already have an agent. What the fuck? So there you have it. Realtor.com, Zillow, Redfin, exposed. And now it's time for weird local news. This week from This Week newspaper this week. Did I say this week enough? No. The story is from May 4th in Columbus, Ohio. More than $20,000 worth of merchandise was reported stolen between 1 and 8 a.m. on April 25th from a vehicle parked on the 100 block of East Mythoff Street, according to a recent Columbus Division of Police report. Items stolen include a $10,000 bicycle. Fucking what? A $10,000 bicycle. Are you insane? Who keeps a $10,000 bicycle in a vehicle? All right, let's continue. $10,000 bicycle, $4,400 set of wheels. Were they stolen off of the car or were they also in the car? $400 pedals, a $350 muscle stimulator device. pads. What kind of pads are we talking about? Brake pads? A $420 saddle kit. I think it was brake pads. A $400 helmet. A $700 racing watch. $216 sunglasses. A $950 wetsuit. I am seriously not making this shit up. A $325 shirt. $40 goggles. $195 sunglasses. A $200 wireless headset. $350 worth of electronic music. What? What is $350 worth of electronic music? Like downloads? I don't don't get this. $357 shoes. $140 earphones with a charging case. $44 swimming trunks. Really? An $800 computer. A $15 pool boy. I don't know what that is. And $450 shoes. Another $500 in damage was done to the vehicle, according to the report. This is super suspicious, and also seems like a joke. Like someone's like, eh, I'll just report all this. I don't own any of it. These are all things I wish I had at one time. Like, I can't get over it. Like, what is the saddle kit? I don't even know. Is that something like a saddle to for a horse? I don't even know what that is. $400 helmet. But the $700 racing watch. Like... A $325 shirt. Who buys a $325 shirt? And $400 shoes. The shoes, like if you combine the two pairs of shoes, it's worth more than the computer that was stolen. How are you fitting all this shit in a car? Was this a van? Was this a semi-tractor trailer in front of a Best Buy? I really don't understand this at all. Something makes me think this is bullshit. What $10,000 bicycle. Like, how cool must a bicycle be to be worth $10,000? And now we get to debut. I was going to do an article about um, limp dicks, but I don't think I really want to go dick on my show yet. Um, We're going to debut a new segment of the Weird News section, and this one's called Florida Man. All right. Um, This is an article from USA Today. Man arrested after camping on Disney World's Discovery Island during coronavirus pandemic. This is from May 4th. Disney World has been closed since mid-March as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. 
One man saw the closure as an opportunity to turn the Disney Island into his personal campsite, but that didn't last long. Richard McGuire, 42, of Mobile, Alabama. Yeah, I know he's not an actual Florida man, but he was caught in Florida. Was arrested April 30th after camping on Walt Disney's Discovery Island, according to an arrest report acquired by USA Today. He was banned from the Disney properties and charged with trespassing. Orange County officers conducted a search by foot, boat, and helicopter and eventually found him. He had been sleeping in one of the island's buildings and referred to the property as a tropical paradise, according to the arrest reports. Richard stated that he had made entry to the island to go camping on Monday or Tuesday and had planned on staying on the island for an approximately one week, Robert Ricks, an Orange County police officer, wrote in the report. McGuire also told Ricks that he was unaware that he was trespassing when he was on the property. However, there were multiple new trespassing and private property signs on the island. In spite of its closure, McGuire is not the first person to get on the island. Atlas Obscura reported that others have found their way onto the island and capture what remains on film. Now here's an article to get a little bit more into what exactly Discovery Island is. Also from USA Today, also on May 4th. What is Discovery Island, the abandoned Disney World attraction where a man was caught camping? A man made headlines over the weekend as he was caught using a closed Disney Island as his personal campsite. Then it goes into the details that I just shared with you in the article. But what is Discovery Island? Those who have visited Orlando's Disney property may have come across an area with the same name, but the Discovery Island most recently opened to guests isn't the same as the abandoned one. Originally called Treasure Island, the old Discovery Island in Disney World's Bay Lake closed to the public in 1999. The 11-acre zoo gave guests the opportunity to observe exotic wildlife in their natural setting. Many of those animal exhibits would later make their way to the Animal Kingdom, which was opened on Earth Day in 1998 as an expansion of Disney's wildlife projects. Anyone who's seriously concerned about preserving... The Wild Places of the World is going to be very impressed, Joseph Rode, the park's creative director, told the New York Times in 1995. Soon after, the old Discovery Island became off-limits. Though Disney explored new ways to use the island, at one point it tried to work with video game developers to turn the island into a series of puzzles to solve while exploring. Our guests have so many more choices, and they're choosing other things. Disney representative Diane Letter told the Orlando Sentinel in 1999, It's a little bit sad when we say goodbye to an old favorite, but change is part of the process. The name was transferred to the central spot in Animal Kingdom, which previously had been dubbed Safari Village. The current Discovery Island, surrounded by water and connected to the rest of the park by five bridges, houses several dining options, character meet-and-greets, and Animal Kingdom's most iconic landmark, the Tree of Life. So there you have it. Discovery Island was where tigers were kept. It's where the tiger kings were. Discovery Island. Treasure Island. I think it would be cool as hell to camp out there. It'd be like camping out on the set of Jurassic Park or something. I would really like to do that. Although I would be pretty freaked out. Because, you know, dinosaurs.
now it's time for the Real Estate Flashback House of the Week. This one is from May 1st, 1987 from the Columbus Dispatch House of the Week section. Address, 1019 Fairway Boulevard in Whitehall. Selling price, $245,000. Lot size, approximately 2.5 acres. Taxes per half year, $870. The buyers of this one-and-a-half-story English Tudor were impressed with the secluded area, the in-ground swimming pool, and easy access to freeways, said selling agent Cheryl Zangardi of Art Russo Realtors, 2453 Sherwood Road. A winding driveway leads up to the house, which has an exterior of stucco, wood, and brick. The backyard has the heated swimming pool, as well as screened cabana, complete with kitchen and half bath. A two-car attached garage and two-car detached garage are part of the property. The first floor consists of a great room, dining room, kitchen, breakfast room, office, and master bedroom that has a fireplace, a bath, and a half bath for a dressing area. There are two bedrooms and two baths on the second floor, plus the captain's quarters that consist of a built-in daybed and shelves. One bedroom has a private exit. The basement features a climate-controlled 20 by 15 foot wine cellar, recreation room with wood-burning fireplace and storage area, a built-in range and microwave, two refrigerators, freezer, trash compactor were sold with the house, which has gas, forced air, and central air conditioning. Sangardi said homes in the area are priced from $90,000 to $650,000. It is served by the Whitehall Schools, Eastland Shopping Center is nearby, and residents have access to I-270 and I-70. The purchase was made with a conventional loan. Listing agent was Bob Lape of Larry N. Wade and Company Realtors, 3311 East Livingston Avenue. Looking this up on the auditor's records, this property last sold in 2004 for $380,000. Oh, and I'd like to add that this home was 2,503 square feet. If you're not familiar with this neighborhood, if you go east of Whitehall and you get near Big Walnut, um, you will find this neighborhood all along the river with large acre to one and a half to two, sometimes six acre lots and glorious mansions pretty much it is a an amazing street to drive down and if you've never done it i would suggest you do it all right that's going to wrap things up for this episode episode four of the offbeat columbus podcast you can find me on instagram at offbeat agent or you can find us on facebook offbeat columbus and i'd like to leave you with a song about cannibalism with none other than alex jones See you next week. I will eat my neighbors. I'm not letting my kids die. I'll, I'm just going to be honest. My superpower is being honest. Being honest. Being honest. I've extrapolated this out, and I won't have to for a few years since I got food and stuff. But I'm literally looking at my neighbors now and going, I'm ready to hang them up, gut them, and skin them, and chop them up. My daughters aren't starving to death. I'll eat my neighbors. I'll eat your ass. I will. I'll eat your ass. I will. I'm combat model, optimum self-sufficiency. I'll eat your ass. I will. 
point is, is have you thought about that yet? Because I'm somebody that thought I could fix this and I'm starting to think about having to eat my neighbors. I'll eat your ass. I will. You think I like sizing up my neighbor, how I'm gonna haul him up by a chain and chop his ass up? I'll do it. My children aren't going hungry. I'll eat your ass. I will. I will eat your ass. My children aren't going hungry. I'll eat your ass. I will. I will eat your ass. My children aren't going hungry. I'll eat your ass. I will. I will eat your ass. My children aren't going hungry. That's why I want the globalists to know I will eat your ass first.